Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on the Shroud of Turin. If you haven't already done so, please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more episodes. I am the author of the new book, the newly released book, The Only Witness. It is a historical fiction tracing a possible history of the Shroud over the last two millennia. Today, though, we are speaking with Dr. Ken Stevenson. He is an absolute prolific writer and preacher, and he was and is and now uh, is a, uh, one of the best syndenologists out there. He was also a member of the original STIRP team. So let me tell you a little bit about Ken. Uh, Dr. Ken Stevenson is the author of several widely known books about the Shroud of Turin, and as an original member of the Shroud of Turin Research Project, also known as STERP, his goal is to share the actual scientific evidence with, my, with his readers while pointing out its agreement with historical and biblical facts. Some of his books include The Shroud of Turin, The Perfect Summary for Everyone, Naza, White Linen and the Blood of Sprinkling, The Image of the Risen Christ, The Shroud and the Controversy, and the verdict on the shroud. Ken, welcome. It's so good to have you. Guy, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad we were finally able to make that connection. Yeah, well, three times is a charm, and I'm so glad yes. to. It's uh, it's really great to uh, speak with you, and it was so much fun to be with you and spend uh, some time with you out at the National Museum of Funeral History a few weeks ago. That was a wonderful uh, occasion, and I didn't know such a museum existed, and I was really pleased with the caliber of exhibit that they put on for the Shroud. Uh, very tasteful, very thorough, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, very good. And uh, and uh, and the the speakers that they had, and of course you were there, and Rudy Dichtel were there, was there, and and uh, and Barry Schwartz, and uh, and many others. The Cardinal. Uh, it was uh, really uh, phenomenal. And when you think about it. Uh, and we're getting off topic here, but it's okay. So, but when you think about it, what is or what was the greatest funeral of all? Yes. And absolutely. so, so having that at the National Museum of Funeral History made a lot of sense. So, uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's get back over to the Shroud a little bit. So tell mm -hmm. us your backstory on how you got involved in the Shroud of Turin. Well, it's kind of interesting. I actually saw a presentation when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. And uh, it was one of those things that uh, it impressed me for the moment, and I rapidly forgot about it. And um, years later, I really had a personal uh, relationship with the Lord, and we were having a Bible study. And I remembered as we were discussing the passion, the shroud. And so I said, oh, have you guys ever heard of the shroud? Well, when they got through ripping me about Catholic relics and the pieces of the true cross and all the rest of that, I remember kind of licking my wounds and saying, well, if what I remember about it is true, we ought to be shouting about it, not sweeping it under the rug. And I jokingly say there was an angel somewhere that said, okay, God, we got one that'll talk <laughs> about the shroud. I, who knew that um, after my third tour of duty in Vietnam, I went to get a master's degree to go back to the academy and teach. I ended up in a carpool with a physicist, an electrical engineer, an aeronautical engineer. The electrical engineer is an agnostic. The rest, the other three of us are believers. And he's explaining, God gave me this scientific brain. Uh, why wouldn't he use science to draw me to himself? At which point the physicist brings up the shroud. I'm back engaged. 
that physicist is John Jackson. Eric Jumper was was the aeronautical <laughs> engineer. And there you had the four key members that literally became STIR. And uh, I'm pleased to write that D, uh, our, our electrical engineer, who for years proudly called himself the group's resident agnostic, uh, is now a believer and uh, wrote a uh, wonderful piece in my book, Nazah, <laughs> about it. Very, very touching comments he made about Nazah, and uh, it means a lot. So that's literally how I got involved. I had a master's in English, undergraduate degree in engineering, so I was a perfect fit to be their editor and their spokesman and to handle the media and so forth, and that was my role. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, I'm also, or I was, I'm a recovering electrical engineer. I'm now into marketing. <laughs> so uh, luckily, though, I don't think I was ever an atheist so uh, or an agnostic, I guess. Uh, uh, but uh, that same angel that flew over your house flew over my house about 20 <laughs> years ago <laughs> and uh, touched me and said, Guy, you need to write a book. On the on the shroud of Turin, and uh, I finally did, and I'm I'm so glad I got it out, and and it's been a really an incredible journey. I've gotten to meet you know so many wonderful people, the uh, the shroud authenticists, and uh, even some of the the non authenticists or questioners. They are just phenomenal people, and really trying to understand more about uh, the shroud and what it represents and and what happened. So it, I, it's yes. really wonderful. It is. It is indeed. It's Absolutely. one of those things that I have believed for many, many years has been the best kept secret of Christianity, and we need to share it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a good point that it uh, was a, a really a, a best kept secret. You know, it wasn't until, you know, even 1898 uh, when uh, when Secundo Pia then took his infamous is infamous picture. And I, and I could imagine, you, you know, I, you could get chastised for saying, oh, my God. But uh, I could imagine that when he saw that negative image, he says, oh, my God. And then it was I'm true. Sure, yeah. That is true. It is true. <laughs> History records that he was so nervous that he almost dropped the plate as he was looking at it because he said he was he realized he was possibly looking at the face of Christ for the first time in nearly 2000 years. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's just uh, so amazing, and and really, then since then, and then certainly with the stirp, uh, the uh, the acceleration of investigation and scientific, truly scientific investigation in the shroud has just uh, taken off, and and it really was his uh, that image that he did. So tell us about uh, what you did with stirp. Yeah, I handled, like I said, all the press. I edited the proceedings of the 77 U.S. Conference of Research. And that's literally what got our foot in the door in Turin. I traveled with a number of members of the team to present that work uh, to the Italian authorities and to present a pattern of research that we hope to conduct. It then took them several months before we they finally said, okay, we'll do this, but you have to submit um, test cloth to 10 times the amount of radiant energy that you're going to use. So we make sure that we don't in any way damage the shroud. Um, and then going over, I also was blessed to uh, be asked to do the infrared videotaping while they had the, the shroud bathed in infrared and they were taking still photographs. They handed me the video camera and I went down and took the, the video. One thing that a lot of people don't realize is the image 
in the infrared is positive. And that suggests something when you're thinking technically speaking, all right, the image to the naked eye is a negative. When you take a photograph, the negative becomes a positive. But in the infrared, it's a positive. Does that possibly suggest that some type of energy in the infrared spectrum could have been involved in the image formation process? I think so. I think it's one of the areas where future scientists uh, need to continue. And then following that, I was, as a recording secretary, I went to all the meetings where we had all kinds of discussion. What did you discover? How, do, how are we going to present this? What kind of peer review uh, articles are going to be done? And that was my role. Um, I, <laughs> I have a shoebox full of audio cassettes of all those meetings. Uh, sometime when I have time, <laughs> it'd be nice <laughs> to go back and listen to some of them. But um, the fascinating thing is I also did most of the interviews for STIRP. So Good Morning America, Oprah, uh, CBN, all, all these different things and some of the documentary channels. So that was that was my role. Yeah, fantastic. So you were you were the uh, just like the, the shroud is the face of Jesus. You were the face of STIRP then uh, yes. once uh, things came out. Absolutely. And, and I had to also present the information to uh, then Harry John, who was the head of the Durance Foundation, and present it in such a way that we could encourage him to finance the whole exhibit. So a lot weighed on that visit I had with him. <laughs> and fortunately, it came out well, and he, he financed us. I'll never forget waiting in JFK with all the team members and those of us who had our families with us, about three or four of us uh, had our families with us um, to make sure that he was going to pay our way. <laughs> and he did. And the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I didn't realize that it was funded by, uh, by him and uh, wow. Good, good for him. That very good well, for him. Predominantly, predominantly. We also, uh, many of us spoke, at various organizations. I spoke nearly nonstop in Louisiana, uh, where I was at the time working for IBM. The archbishop there, uh, he put the word out, you're either gonna have Ken Stevenson come and speak, or you're gonna show this movie called The Silent Witness. And so I was nonstop. I rode the tires off of two vehicles <laughs> traveling all over the state uh, to tell the story of the shroud. And, um, one of the most, I think, incredible visits was to the Carmelite Monastery in Lafayette. Um, my wife and I are only two civilians that I'm ever aware that were invited behind the walls of the cloister to minister to the nuns and pray with the nuns. And we consider them our intercessors to this day. Very precious ladies. They dedicate their entire life to prayer. And um, so a lot of good things came out of that. Yeah, you weren't kidding. Um, I mean, what would it been? What would it be like today as someone studying the shroud if we didn't have STIRP and and what came out of STIRP? It would be a totally different picture. You know, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of folks didn't realize until I started telling the story that I had to make a career decision. Remember, four of us were on faculty at the academy. And 
like in academia, publisher parishes the rule at the academy as well. Well, I was publishing, I won the Writers' Forum Award that year for poetry. I was selected for the PhD program. In short, I was doing everything we needed. And plus the Air Force was getting good press by our work. And then I was invited to either drop the shroud to get the rating that I had earned. And if I didn't, I would get the kiss of death rating. So I had to make a command decision and I left the Air Force. Mm. Um, looking back, I don't regret it. I'd do it all again because what would have happened if Sturt didn't have someone to handle the media, to do the writings, to do all the stuff that took three and a half years before we came out with our final report? Where would the story be without that? So, yeah, you're right. It's it's absolutely a vital thing that occurred with Stirk. All right, I have to ask. So I was an electrical engineer, and when I went through high school, I absolutely hated writing. <laughs> I hated grammar. <laughs> I hated everything about it. Now, of course, I've changed. I've seen the error in my ways. But um, so just curious, what was the quality of writing of everybody else and how did you have, a, you know, did you have to do a lot of work to uh, correct the English? <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting because Eric uh, and John presented me with this little plaque. I think Eric made it and it called, he called it the Julio Ricci Writers Award and it had a broken pencil on it because of all the rewrites and things that I had to do <laughs> specifically with that one article that uh, that Father Ricci came out with. But yeah, and you have to understand, I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. I was planning to be an electrical engineer. That was my field, my initial field of study. I ended up being a general engineer as far as that goes, because although in lab I was great, in theory, I kept getting <laughs> beat in the head. Um, but from high school, I always loved writing. I, I was in the Writers' Honor Society and things like that. So being able to put those talents together worked well for me and worked well for Sturp. <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, and uh, I, I, I won't talk too much about it, but it is funny how certain things in your life you know, lead you to the next thing. And, uh, and yes. just like you're talking about, and uh, it's same with me with being a writer, but it, it's not about me, it's about you. So, uh, all right, I have to ask. So what, when you were in Italy, when you were uh, there in Turin and you're in the, in the chapel and you're, you're, you're in there with uh, everybody else, uh, what, what was the, the craziest experience that you, that you guys uh, lived through? Oh, there were several. Um, first of all, I will recall when we got to Turin, it was the last day of the exhibit, and the late uh, Ray Rogers and I walked in. I had my two boys, and they were little guys at the point, and I put one on my shoulders, he put the other on his shoulders so that we could see the shroud. Just looking at it, just looking at it, it, it made such an impression that without thinking about it, we both turned to each other and said, that's it, that's it. We had this sense that we were really looking at the real deal. But then the Italian authorities put our equipment in quarantine and didn't want to release it to us 
because they said, we don't know what all this stuff is. We've never seen some of this stuff before. <laughs> you could be smuggling a nu nuclear weapon in here. Well, thank the Lord. Father Rinaldi went to boot for us. And uh, I forget how much money the archbishop put up and we got our equipment. Then there were different things that had to happen. I think you saw in Houston that we had to use a toilet a bathroom for a dark room to do filming. Um, one of the creepiest things was after demonstrating that we wouldn't in any way harm the shroud, the authorities bring it to us thumbtacked down to a plywood board. I mean, you could, you could even see some rust from some of the thumbtacks on the cloth, and it just ripped our hearts out. Um, one of the uh, most difficult things for me was a press conference in which the late Harry Gove virtually assaulted me. Uh, he, he didn't think that it was right that he would have to speak to a spokesperson. And he said, <laughs> I want to speak to a real scientist. At which point the editor for the Rolling Stone turned to him and said, this man can answer your questions over your head if he wanted to. Let him alone and let him do his job. <laughs> so there were a lot of things like that that occurred while we were there, just, just different things. I remember seeing a painting of St. Charles Borromeo when he made his pilgrimage to see the shroud. And I looked at the painting and I said, Charles Borromeo was a man of color because you see the skin tone. You see the hair texture. And I turned to, to the priest that was there with me. I said, is he a person of color? No, 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 no. <laughs> but the point was he was a holy man and they respected him. And that's how the shroud ended up in Turin. A lot of people don't know that story. The, yeah. the Savoy family didn't want him to cross the Alps barefoot. So they moved it to Turin and it's been there ever since. So, there were a number of things like that that occurred while we were there. But the most important guy, the most important was when we were done, and the archbishop came in and he said, he, he made some comment about the princes of science having come to, um, and that's why we're in the bedrooms that visiting princes stayed in. And then he said, because you've shown such respect to the Holy Shroud, I will let you touch it. So we're each able to go and physically touch the shroud without the surgical gloves or anything like that. That, to this day, has a, a powerful impact on my life and my ministry. Yeah, I believe it. And uh, I liked uh, Barry Schwartz's uh, story on that, so that when when something touches the a primary relic, you become a secondary relic. And That's so... Right. I keep telling my friends I've shaken your hand. And so I'm now a tertiary relic. <laughs> That's good. You know, they actually also gave us secondary relics. The shroud at that time had a red silk that mm. was stitched to the back of it. And because one of the testing, we literally unstitched the backing cloth so we could see the underside and see if the image penetrated in any way, which of course we now know it doesn't. But they cut pieces of that red silk and each member of the team got a secondary relic, mm. like they say. So. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And that's, uh, that I, I, I find that that part about the, the secondary relic and I yes. think that's just fascinating. Well, one thing I, I love about it is I hadn't thought about it this way. I assure you, I didn't, I was ministering in a church and it is as is my custom when I'm done, I normally will offer if they, if it's their uh, tradition to have a prayer line. If people want prayer, I'll pray for them. If people want to ask questions, I'll answer questions. And so I had a prayer line and an elderly woman walked up to me, a little church in Brooklyn, New York. And she takes my hands and she said, and I'm thinking she's going to ask for prayer. Instead, she says, these hands have touched the blood of Jesus. And that's why there's healing in these hands. Well, you're going to knock me over with a feather. I never thought about it like that. But our ministry for over 37 years has been known for healing. Uh, I, I'm not Padre Pio, but um, but I could give you testimonies mm. of how the Lord has used us in healing all these years. It's 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 an incredible thing. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask now. You had your 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 two sons, uh, you and then right. I think you said Eric Jumper. No, Ray uh, Rogers. Ray Rogers. Ray Rogers. Uh, and uh, you were then, they got a chance to actually view live the shroud. So what kind of an impression did it make on them? Oh, let me tell you something. All of my children, uh, of course, um, my second son, Sean, was taken from us, um, murdered and uh, resuscitated and then euthanized. It's a horrible situation about three years ago. But the remaining three children could give this presentation in their sleep. Mm. It made a major impact on them. Now, Angela wasn't born yet, but she's been to so many lectures with me and all of them have spoken. Now, my oldest boy, Kenneth, he was one of the hardest kids to get to read when he was little. But guess what? He's a Hebrew scholar. He can read it mm. and write it, both modern and ancient. And in fact, I credit him in the Zah with pointing me down the right path about the ancient Hebrew things I didn't know. And he's also a metallurgist in a lot of things. But the thing that impresses me most is all of my children have a closeness to the Lord now. And it definitely, I believe, stems back to their experiences. Mm. Wonderful. That is so good. And uh, kudos to you and, um, and, and that. All right. So let's uh, talk about uh, Nazar. So yeah. uh, what was the, what was kind of the impetus? How did you, you know, what did, how did that idea come to you that you wanted to write about Nazar? And, and I will admit there are, you, there are a couple, it, right? I have read it. And there, okay. I was, I was, be honest with you, I was shocked with some of the things that, that you had in there. I go, I can't believe how well the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. I just couldn't believe it. It's it's amazing. In, in fact, um, just a little aside, recently I saw a picture that I've never seen before. And what they did was they laid on the bottom the scripture, a white line representing Genesis to Revelation. And then they drew colored lines throughout scripture connecting prophecies. And what you get is this magnificent rainbow picture. It's just incredible. I'd never seen that before. But here's where it started. Um, I had written Image of the Risen Christ, and I thought I was done. I, you know, after Shroud and the Controversy, 
you know, kind of got orphaned, didn't go anywhere. I really felt the story needed to be told. Grant Jeffrey came and spoke at my church. He said, I want you to write another book. So we wrote Image of the Risen Christ, and he published that. But then I got a word, you have to write another book on the same subject. And I thought to myself, what haven't I written? But it stirred me so that I I tell Mary, my wife, I'd say, honey, I got to write this other book. So finally she challenged me. She said, You've been saying you need to write it. Get up at five o'clock every morning and start writing. Now, in the interim, I went to speak at a Shroud conference. And a dear friend of mine who is, he's also an engineer, but not electrical. I forget it. He's more in the space program. And he told me, Ken, you need to write a white paper. And I said, a white paper? What's that? Because I hadn't heard the term before. And he explained it to me. So at that Shroud conference, I did a white paper on the shroud. And what I felt needed to be done that had never been done is exactly what you referred to, the scriptural evidence. Okay, obviously, I had gone and and talked to Eliezer Erbach, the founder of what is now Chosen People Ministries, and he pointed me down the road to the Code of Law, which is a book that details Jewish burial custom proves that John's gospel was absolutely right when it said buried in the manner of the Jews, but it also rips a hole in those who believe Jesus was wrapped like a mummy. It's simply not accurate. It's not historically accurate. It's not biblically accurate. And it's certainly not culturally accurate when it comes to Jewish phenomenon. So I sorry, let writing. me, let me interrupt you. When you say wrapped like a mummy, you mean it's wrapped like uh like a like, like you see the mummies where they're yes. not just the cloth yeah not just a cloth and there are people that have taught that and believed it i i've been kind of ostracized by a couple of well-known apologists because they believe that so strongly and i asked them quite frankly um if that's the case then why did the women come to the tomb on that first sunday morning because what were they going to do? Bring a buzzsaw to cut the, you know, the mummy wrap off? Because they basically said it would set up like a cast on a broken limb, mm-hmm. you know, because of the myrrh and aloes and the linen and so forth. Not true, not true. So, anyway, I started looking into it, and what I found was that's when my son came to me and mentioned the fact that Hebrew is pictographic. So every letter in the Hebrew alphabet also is a picture. And I started looking things up and I stumbled upon a website. It I, I don't even think it's online anymore. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if their group collapsed or what. But in that website, it mentioned things like the name, the unpronounceable name, the so-called tetragrammaton, yad hey vav hey, behold the hand, behold the nail. What? Wait, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> I, I found that Barashit, um, which is translated in the beginning, literally spells out the following. The son of God crushed his hand upon a cross. What? In the beginning? Wait a minute. You now have a confirmation of Revelation because Revelation says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I, I mean, so I started finding these things out. Now. I had almost walked away from the Shroud, having written a number of books. 
I said, I'm done. And having dealt with people who just said, oh, this is a Catholic relic. Oh, you're emotionally involved. You're not using your head, blah, 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 blah. And so I started to walk away from it. And then again, thank God for my help me. She said to me, I think God would have you to restudy Isaiah 52. And I looked in Isaiah 52, and that's where the word Nazar comes from, by the way. Um, and it said, thy servant will be exalted and extolled and very high. His face was marred more than any man, his form or his body more than the sons of men. So shall he Nazar. And that word means to startle and to sprinkle. That's the original Hebrew meaning. And it comes from the blood of expiation. When the priest put the blood on the mercy seat and he came out and sprinkled the blood on the people. So that's the connection. However, what I didn't expect is what it spelled out pictographically. Behold, the heir to the throne pierced. Now, think hmm. about this. It goes on to state, kings will shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And immediately I was quickened to the fact that the Apostle Paul says, Festus, you're well aware of this thing. It wasn't done in a corner. So if kings are going to see and study what they had never been told, for scripture to be accurate and unbroken, it has to be future to Paul. If it's future to Paul, how could that be unless there's evidence? Evidence of a marred face and a marred body. And then the scripture just opened up. Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes the Son of God has been set? The word there is prographo, from which we get photograph. It literally means etched. What etched image was set before the church in Galatia? <laughs> Mm. That the Apostle Paul talked to them about. He said, you've seen the Son of God crucified. Oh, come on. <laughs> you start putting these little pieces together. And that was the impetus. And I went on and on. I looked at what Jesus said about the sign of the prophet Jonah and so many other prophecies. And you start lining that all up. This is not rocket science. This is not electrical engineering. This is two plus two equals four. That's it. It's straightforward. It's clear. You can deny it if you choose, or you can open your eyes and evaluate the facts for yourself. That's all my books have been that way. I want the reader to reach his own decision. When I give the presentation, I say, you leave my presentation, you don't believe it's the burial cloth, fine. But if you leave my presentation and you don't know what it costs Christ to go to the cross in your place, then I will have failed. And that's been my motivation, guy. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and all of those examples uh, are so good. Uh, I I hate to say it. Um, I I I, I pose a question in my book. It says, if you were going to make uh, the most important books of the Bible, you know, what would they be? And I Isaiah from the Old Testament, and then the four Gospels in the New Testament. And it, it's hard not to put in Paul. I will admit. But after yeah. I after I read Nazar and then uh, to you, uh, you know, to what you just said about uh, in the beginning, and I can't what it was a uh, Barashiba, Barashit, Barashit, Barashit. Barashit. And I'll take it another step. 
I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I didn't finish. Barashit Elohim Olive Tav. The Olive Tav is not translated in your English Bible. What is Olive Tav? Alpha and Omega. What is in Revelation? Behold, I am Olive Tav. I am Alpha and Omega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, so now, now if I were asked, well, what are the most important books? You've totally confused me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think they're all like the Shroud itself. I think the Bible is intended to be taken in its totality. So as a pastor, I don't just teach the New Testament. Mm. I have believed and taught that the new is the old revealed and the old is the new concealed. Mm. And when you confirm things from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it opens the word of God up to the open heart and the open mind. And it, it, it transforms a life. And you talk about Paul. What did he say? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what do you renew your mind to? The word, the word, the word. In the beginning was the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So uh, so I I hope you don't mind. But uh, actually, this weekend, I'm teaching. Uh, I, I, I quite often teach a, uh, an adult Sunday school. Okay. And uh, and I'm going to borrow a half a handful of uh, of your <laughs> quotes out of Nazar because it's <laughs> please do and remind them to um, leave a review of when they get their copies. Absolutely, they're up to I think fifty some odd reviews now on Amazon. There was one negative review, one out of fifty some odd reviews. I left it. Here's why, guy, because the guy after reading the book. This is what he said. I don't like the advertising for this book because it's clear he's trying to get people saved. You think? (laughs) You think? Yes, I Uh, I am. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, that is so funny. Um, uh, Yeah. So, uh, well, that reminds me and I apologize. I didn't uh, I didn't even think about it. And here I am as well on my book, you know, trying to get reviews. Well, I will write my review of Nazar here uh, in the next oh, couple good. of days. Absolutely. And once so, I get your book, count on a review from me as well. I I heard from a guy who started writing two historical fictions. I saw the first one. I never saw the second one. And I don't even know if he's still out there writing. I can't even remember his name. I'd have to look in my library to tell you. but. Like you, that book that you wrote is equally important because a lot of people will not read a scientific book. Mm. A lot of people will not read a book they perceive to be spiritual or religious. Okay. Mm -hmm. But they will read a novel. They will read something that is, you know, a fiction. And your witness to those that will only read a fiction is as important as anyone's witness. I think as I see things transpiring right now, that we are, and I believe this with all my heart, others may not agree, but that's fine. I believe we are that last generation. And what can we do to bring people to a saving knowledge before this thing wraps up. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, and you know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I've traveled to Europe uh, quite a bit. I lived over there quite a bit. And uh, the thing that pains me the most is to see a beautiful old church, you know, from the 1600s or whatever, turned into a restaurant. Yeah. And uh, and I, I just, it just pains me to see that. It pains me to see that. We had a historic landmark cathedral in Pittsburgh that we purchased from the archdiocese. And I literally believe it was because of our successful creation of a charter school. But when we got it, our goal, and we stated our goal to create a charter school, this is the inner city neighborhood that I grew up in. The public school system was the pits. And it was worse when I came back than when I was a kid. And it was bad when I was a kid. But as soon, I think the month that it became public knowledge that the state was going to approve our charter, we had a $1.5 million theft loss and damage to that cathedral. It was never the same. And Mm -hmm. you'll never convince me that somebody wasn't behind that. We put a $5,000 security system in that building. The windows were imported from Europe, from Germany. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. bells were one of a kind. You, you, it's what they call a discordant bell. So you could literally play a song with the bells. And to come back and find that it had been broken into like that, I, it just devastated us. Yeah. But our school went on to be a four-star charter school. <laughs> well, that is great. Well, so yeah. the purpose, so the objective was one, but the uh, there were some losses along the way. There were some losses <laughs> along the way. But I agree with you about seeing a beautiful old facility, you know. Yeah. Destroyed or turned into yeah. a restaurant, yeah. turned into a museum, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So uh, I, I could talk about Nazar uh, with you for quite a while, but uh, let's talk about your book, uh, the other book, and uh, some of the special things you, that you've done with uh, the perfect summary. Yeah. You know, I my goal with Nazar, and, and we prayed, you know, Lord, I, I want millions of copies of Nazar. Well, it's been slow getting off the block, so to speak. And I think a lot of that has to do with the carbon 14, which we've already discussed. And Brian came along, wrote a wonderful piece about Nazar, ended up connecting with us, worshiped with us now on a regular basis. And he said, why don't we do together a free book. I said, what do you mean? He said, you've written all these things. We want to see people one to the gospel. We can put the book out for free. Now, I didn't have a conceptual idea of how that would happen, but Brian is a computer expert, as you may well know. Mm -hmm. And so we combined Um, our two writing styles and the factual knowledge that I brought to the table and the scriptural knowledge. And we wrote the perfect summary um, with a view toward getting it all around the world. And guy, I'm I'm blessed to say it's succeeding. Uh, We're in 57 countries, all but three States. So uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, if you're listening and one of the Dakotas, I forget which one. Yeah, I think uh, Brian. And by the way, it's Dr. Brian uh, Donley Worrell that we're talking about. Yes. Uh, Brian yes, uh, Donley Worrell. Dr. Brian Donley Worrell. Yes, absolutely. And um, 
So we put it out there and he literally translated it. He's, he's multilinguistic. Mm. He literally translated it into Hebrew, Italian, and Spanish. So now it's going around the world. And we just praise God for that because, again, we would like to see every person on planet Earth get it. You can download it to a, a phone, an iPad, a computer, or whatever. It's totally free. No shipping, no handling, no gimmicks, none of that. And those who have read it, we've got our first uh, international review from the Netherlands, and it was very powerful review. And, and so we're grateful to God because we see it accomplishing something. You know, it's like the scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. And this is the only th time I've ever even considered giving this knowledge away for free and look at the results already. Mm. I'm blessed. I'm yeah. Blessed. Yeah. Well, if you get a German book done, uh, I'll be one of your, uh, one of your readers for it. Uh, I did. Well, you know I, what? I would like to do that because I took four years of German at the Academy. Mm -hmm. And when I got my master's degree, I had to translate a piece having been away from school for how many years I had to translate a piece for my language equivalency or else take another class. So I translated a, a military piece in German and passed with flying colors. So you've just put a bug in my ear. Maybe it's time for me to yeah. break out my old dictionary and, and do some writing. Well, so you have three strikes against you, just like I do. We were electrical engineers. We speak German and we're involved in the shroud. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know it's, it's that, all bad <laughs> that is so true i there's a neighbor here uh who is from germany i don't know when he immigrated but he's bought up all kinds of property in this community uh which at one time was literally all native american my wife's people are choctaw and cherokee and this was all native american land so he had a piece for sale. So I called him up and they told me he was German. So when he answered the phone, I said, Guten Tag, Herr Wust. And he said, <laughs> yeah, real quiet. <laughs> <laughs> you speak German? Ich habe German gelernt auf den Air Force Academy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and so he's very nervous around me now because I speak German. Enough, a little neuroambition. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's so funny because I, I very similar. I had four years of German in high school, and uh, and then I went over there and lived there for six years. And then you know, after after about a year, you're pretty well fluent. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's amazing. My uncle, he's passed away now, but after he retired from the Air Force, he moved there and lived there until he passed away. And uh, my nephew is there now. He's a Colonel, both of them married uh, German girls over there. And, um, so he's stationed there right now. Oh, good for so, him. Good yeah. for him. I took yeah. four, four years of Latin in high school, mm. which bode me well when studying sciences and things because so many terminology that we have, so much terminology that we have comes from Latin yeah. roots. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I've been getting into now as I've gotten to study the shroud is the Greek. So in the New Testament is the, yes. understanding the Greek and the English and the translations. And uh, and that's been that's been also, uh, you know, just so much fun. But now I don't know. You, you're tempting me, though, with uh, with the Hebrew. <laughs> oh, yes. One, one thing that I would love to see, but I don't know how to make it happen. So. I put a bug in everybody's ear when I can. At Esopus, New York, which was right across the river from where we lived in Poughkeepsie, at Esopus, they had this massive library of European writings on the shroud, which had never been translated into English, Hmm. going back hundreds of years. Now, when the Redemptorists gave up that monastery, the Redemptorist priest took that library and nobody knows where it is. Hmm. Who knows what's in some of those books that could lend knowledge to the shroud question that may answer some of the issues like you're writing about in your fiction about a history of where it was. Mm. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, and I constantly look for, uh, you know, updates or, you know, new writings, or when I talk to and interview folks just like yourself, um, you know, it's always interesting to get these little tidbits. And the good news is that my book is a fiction. And yeah. uh, because I've learned so much now since I've been, since I wrote it, that I go, oh man, I should have changed this or I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hopefully, I mean, to your point though, the, the, the purpose of my book, The Only Witness, is really to uh, just bring the shroud and the miracle, of course, of Jesus to as many people as possible. Yeah, take it out of obscurity. Yeah. Um, yeah. While you're looking, look for books of art. Um, when I was at the Academy still, we were looking as as far back like Ian Wilson to see the images of Christ in mm-hmm. art. And I found a book that had a painting that obviously was taken from the shroud. But this particular painting had a herringbone kind of trellis around it. And it definitely looked like the Mandelian image of Edessa the way it was with that Mm -hmm. trellis pattern around. And then later on, I was mentioning it to someone and I never could find that book again. So somewhere there's an artistic uh, representation that really links the two. It's out there. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting off, but my next uh, work, which I'm in the middle of and, and I'll send it to you is to examine exactly that all of the the christ pantocrator images yes. Yes. going back as far as i can go and i found about 40 of them, maybe 50 and uh and then to compare them with the image in the shroud and to see how that's changed and and whether they captured a lot or not and what the variations to the shroud are and things like that and so uh one of the it, things that i do in my presentation there's a christ pantocrator is a coin and yeah. the coin is about the size of a nickel. Mm. And I took and did an overlay. If you, if you uh, read any of Alan Wanger's work, the late Alan Wanger out of Atlanta, he developed an overlay technique mm. where you could overlay images and see where the congruences were. Well, I used that same overlay technique with this coin and it is incredible. 
whoever minted that coin had to see the shroud. Yeah. No doubt in your mind. Yeah. And that, uh, and Julio Fonte, um, and, uh, has a book now on those coins. And, uh, and I actually have a couple of, of the golden, uh, Solitas and, mm. uh, and you can see, uh, I mean, it is so, at least to me, it is so obvious that that, that the artisan that actually put that mold together had to have had, you know, firsthand knowledge and firsthand visibility of, of the, of the shroud. Yeah, and the other thing absolutely. that I, the other thing I think that happened as well is that the artisans uh, over time got better and better. And so then if, if an emperor or a, uh, or a bishop or a whatever, or the Pope wanted to commission in a new image, then there was kind of this wealth of knowledge that all of the artisans in, in uh, Constantinople at the time had, and they'd say, okay, well, let us help you to, you know, put things together. Right. And then, you know, and keep studying that image and they kept better, they kept getting better and better and better because the more you study that, that, that image on the shroud, the more you see little nuances that, you know, that you need to be able to copy into your, into your picture. Absolutely correct. And in fact, there is, there is so much to that Constantinople link. I don't know um, when I read the Karamayan Lost and Found by mm. Philip Ball. And, and how he went over and found that icon that matches it. When I read about Robert de Clary and he makes this wonderful description of the shroud as we know it, okay, and then the shroud disappears. I did an article on LinkedIn um, about the Holy Grail, and I believe the shroud is what was known as the Holy Grail. It wasn't a dish or a cup. Joseph of Arimathea purchased the linen, and it caught the blood of Jesus as he laid him in the tomb. Boom. Mm. But again, you don't, these things you have to sit down and think and connect the dots. Yeah, yeah. And no, that's absolutely right. Do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, and I, I agree with all, you know, exactly what you're saying, but of course we're, we're shroud authenticists. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit jaded baby, but, um, anyway, uh, well, listen, Ken, is there anything you'd like to say or add, uh, before we close, we're about to, you know, up to an hour and I hate to say it. I, I have a whole list of other questions that I could ask, but, um, well, yeah. that means we'll have to do another interview sometime. I'm ready. I'm and ready. I'm Fantastic. Than, I'm more than willing. I, one thing I do want to say is, please, as much as possible, if you see this podcast, get our book, The Perfect Summary. It's free. It's totally free. There's no gimmicks. We won't harass you or anything else. It's easy to download, and it's easy to read. And if you want some in-depth, like Guy just mentioned, grab Nazar as well. Nazar is going to give you some Hebrew language that you need to know and understand. And the Zah is going to link the shroud to the Bible in ways a lot of people didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate for goodness sake. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, uh, so the, the both, so the, uh, uh, the shroud of Turin, the perfect summary is on your website, uh, which is uh, shroudofturin.org. Is that what it is? That's correct. And um, and I also have a, a link to it from my site. I also have a link to Naza over to your site, and um, and I think Naza is definitely for somebody that wants to see the Old Testament, like you said, the Old Testament revealing the New Testament, 
and uh, or the the New Testament revealing the Old Testament, and it truly is. It truly yeah. is, and that connection is there. It's it's absolutely fascinating. One thing I want to say in closing: the Apostle Paul. You mentioned Paul. The Apostle Paul says, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, all Israel shall be saved. The links of scripture from Zechariah, they're going to look on the one they pierced and mourn for him. If the Messiah is coming, are you going to mourn or are you going to rejoice? I think they're going to see and recognize the burial cloth of their Messiah, and that's why they're going to mourn. And if you link what Paul quotes in Romans before he says all Israel, he quotes Isaiah, he quotes Zechariah, he quotes those scriptures in order and then says all Israel will be saved. <laughs> People, the scriptures coming alive. Jerusalem is surrounded. Russia wants to come down. We're in that time period when Jesus said, be sure to know the signs of the times. <laughs> and with that, uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Ken, thank you so much. Uh, it's really been a pleasure, and it, it was such a pleasure to meet you out at the uh, National Museum of the Funeral History a few weeks ago. But even more so now to talk to you and and really understand more about Nizah and then the perfect summary, and uh, and go from there. So thank you so much, Guy. Thanks for having me. Keep doing the good work. I look forward to reading your book as well. No, thank you so much. And uh, and also, if you read uh, Nazar or the uh, uh, the perfect summary or then uh, the only witness, definitely write a review. We'd love to hear yes. your comments and we need your comments so we that do. it'll hopefully get further and further out That's into right. the world. And share it. Share it with others. See yeah. what they think as well. Absolutely. Ken, thank you so much. And then to the audience, stay tuned for other videos in this series of The Backstory on the Shroud of Turin. Please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more episodes. And if you liked this one, please rate it with five stars. Ken, thank you so much. Thanks, Guy. Good to be here. God bless.